Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's Platinum Sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Tommy Davies, a systems analyst turned tech strategy advisor, public speaker, and angel investor. Tommy is collaborator-in-chief at Technovision, co-founder of the Lagos Angel Network, and president of the African Business Angel Network. He has been described by TechCrunch as Africa's top angel investor. As a thought leader with increasing knowledge gained from nurturing entrepreneurs in a growing portfolio of tech-enabled early-stage business ventures originating from Africa, Tommy's personal mission is to help drive Africa's development by supporting young entrepreneurs using innovation and technology to create social impact and economic value. Now, please join me in a great chat with Tommy Davies. Tommy, thank you very much for joining us on the Wharton Fintech podcast. We are extremely happy to have you here. We would love to start by hearing a little bit about yourself and your personal background. Okay, the first is I'll start with my name and why it is Tommy. Tommy. It's actually a Yoruba name from West Africa. It is Ola Olua Tommy, the wealth of God is enough for me. So, Tommy, I am from originally from Nigeria. I was educated at the University of Miami. I am actually a grandfather of two lovely sons and currently reside in London in the United Kingdom. My background is actually in corporate innovation. I started out life with the then Elf oil giant, Elf, the French oil giant where I helped build their very first data center in uh, Nigeria. I then moved on to Marks and Spencer, where I headed the research and development unit for the IT department and actually built the very first Marks and Spencer website. Leaving Marks and Spencer, I joined Ernst & Young, where I led the e-commerce initiative for Ernst & Young until heading out to Sapient, where I helped build the UK government's website. Then I moved to Africa at the turn of the century and at Alltech, I helped the Nigerian government and the World Bank put in the first ever biometric system for payroll and personnel information. Over the last 10 odd years, I've been a very active angel investor. I am a co-founder of the Lagos Angel Network. I am president of the Africa Business Angel Network and I'm also a member of the board of the Global Business Angel Network. So that's me in a nutshell. Thank you. That's impressive, Tommy. Thank you so much for that. I'm curious as to how did you get involved with angel investing? Sounds like you had a career that was within the ecosystem of technology, but you were not necessarily working for startups. So uh, no. where, where did this come in? Okay, well... The first bug came during the dot-com bubble where I actually was the chief operating officer running the Ernst & Young incubator in London 
called Future Wealth. And that's sort of when I caught the bug because what we were doing then was bringing the traditional corporates like my former employee, Marks and Spencer, and we're linking them up with these startups to help them move into the online arena. So when I returned to Africa, I got a call from a friend. Remember I told you I built the MS website. A friend of mine who'd been involved in that process, he'd returned to South Africa where Nelson Mandela had become president and he was about to start this company doing comic books. So he called me up, asked uh, if I would be interested. And of course I was interested. Cut the long story short, we pivoted out of doing superheroes and we started doing a fantasy soccer comic. That property, which is called Strike Entertainment, was sold to Disney earlier this year. While all that was happening, I got a call from Intel Capital. As you see, my background's in technology, so I was quite familiar with people in Intel, asking me to take a look at a startup that had they'd come across but was too small in terms of ticket size for them to invest. The young man was at that time finishing off his PhD in the U.S. He came down. We started the company, which was around pharmacovigilance, which is sort of testing for fake drugs and that kind of stuff. To cut the long story short, we've done over 100 million verifications. That company is called Sproxil. And by the time I was doing Sproxil and Femi Akinde came along and says, oh, I need you to invest in Slim Trader and help us build it. I'd become an angel investor. <laughs> just like that. Yep. Just like that. How did that investment pan out? The last one didn't. Uh, we had to have a fire sale. And I think I got six cents on the dollar for my investment on that one. Sproxil is now in five countries. They're, like I told you, Striker is now a Disney property. Impressive. And so you are certainly amongst the pioneers in the African continent for angel investing. I was looking at some stats. The venture investing ecosystem just in 2012 was only at $40 million, an estimated $40 million in the entire continent. But it has grown to $500 million in 2015 to close to $2 billion in 2019, if I'm correct. Can you yep. tell us a little bit more about the venture investing ecosystem in Africa and what's the relationship between angel investors and VCs? Because it sounds like it's a little bit different than in other parts of the world. Well, um, first of all, you are right. It's the growth that's caught everybody's attention in terms of inbound capital. And I think we just earlier this month, we passed again the half a billion mark. So we're on track, even though there'll be a decline in investment due to COVID, we're on track to see continued increased investment on the continent. Now, in terms of the ecosystem itself, angel investing, when we started ABAN five years ago, there were five networks on the continent. Earlier this year, in March, to be specific, before COVID, I was in Windhoek, Namibia, to launch the 49th network in the 33rd country. And this so, is the African Business Angel African Network? African Business Angel Network, yes. But as those networks have grown, uh, the VCs also are getting quite sophisticated. So we have venture capital that is dedicated to women. We have impact funds that are investing on the continent. We have venture funds that are specific to renewables. We have those that are specific to agri-tech. And they continue to increase both ticket size coming down before you know, if you were looking for under a million dollars, you couldn't find it. 
But now you're seeing 250,000, half a million dollars, even $100,000 ticket sizes. So it's getting very, very interesting in early stage Africa for that reason. And there is an increasing level of collaboration between ABAN and AFCA. AFCA is the Africa Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. And that can only be good for the continent. Tell us a little bit more about the Africa Business Angel Network, about ABAN. Who is the typical member? A typical member of ABAN is a city-based network. So it would be a network that has been created to serve a particular city or serve a particular country or region. Those are our typical members. ABAN was created in 2015 courtesy of EBAN, the European Business Angel Network, which at that time was presided over by Candice Johnson. And her vice president, Baibaz Altuntash, were kind enough to invite us to Helsinki. And that is where ABAN was um, created. There were three founding networks, the Lagos Angel Network, the Cameroon Angel Network, and the Ghana Angel Investment Network, with support from the likes of uh, Venture Capital for Africa and a few others. At that time, like I said, there were five networks on the continent. Today, ABAN has a, a secretariat that is run courtesy of VC4A by David Van Dyke. We have in North, for North Africa, we have Khaled Ishmael of Him Angels as our vice president for North Africa. For East Africa, it is Stephen Gugu of the Victoria Business Angel Network. For South Africa, it is Alexander Frazier of Dazzle Angels. For West Africa, it's my humble self of the Lagos Angel Network. For Central Africa, it is Rebecca Enonchong of the Cameroon Angel Network. And that's sort of the construct of ABAN as it is today. We are centered on three primary objectives. The first is to identify and educate angel investors across the continent. The second is to help those angel investors form angel networks that are sustainable and continue to invest. And the third and final is to engage with policymakers on the continent and to encourage them to declare angel investing as a development rather than a financial asset class with the attendant benefits of a development asset class. How are those conversations going with the regulator? What's your relationship like uh, these days and has it evolved? Has it strengthened over the last few years? Oh, yes, it's, it's been quite good. We are in ongoing conversations with the AU, which is sort of the overall body. But at the same time, Senegal and Tunisia have already implemented uh, startup ecosystem rules that allow investors to get these benefits. Interesting. Now, I understand that one of the most promising entrepreneurial industries in the African continent is financial services. Can you tell us a little bit more about the financial ecosystem? Maybe we, we, we can start with your home turf, Nigeria, and you can comment on the rest of the continents and how are entrepreneurs disrupting and improving the financial system? Well, I, I'm no expert in this area, but let me talk you through how I'm seeing. The first area of disruption that's happening big time is on payments. Historically, as a merchant, for you to get online payment system going, you'd have to apply to a bank, then you'd have to go and present to the bank, and then eventually they'd say yay or nay. Today, with startups such as Flutterwave and Paystack, 
who both have online payment gateways that makes it easy for merchants to accept credit and debit card payments online for users and customers. They've totally, totally disrupted that aspect of fintech. Historically also, savings was something that just didn't happen. There were very, very few people saving because there wasn't an active element in savings. So you look at someone like Peaky Vest, and they've just taken that to the next level, and they're going gangbusters. The third and final area that I'm seeing startup activity, and in fact, we as Lagos Angel just invested in one of them, is in investments in international stock exchanges. Because the Nigerian currency has been under siege, a lot of Nigerians are now investing in American stock, UK stock, Chinese stock to hedge the currency depreciation. And so in that space, you've got Bamboo and you've got our investment, which is in Trove. So those are the different areas I'm seeing in fintech that startups are disrupting. Got it. Got it. And this is quite relevant, I guess, for a number of secular trends going on in Africa. And that is you have a very large chunk of the population that is unbanked or underbanked. Uh, uh, that, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. How is it helping? Historically, banks were in cities in Africa. And then if there was a large enough population, you'd have some kind of branch or automatic teller machine in the locale. What has happened with fintech is they brought banking into the mobile phone. And when you consider the penetration of mobile telephony on the continent, you start to understand why this is such a powerful movement and what the implications are. Because the mobile penetration is something like about 20 or 30x the banking penetration. So you start to see what I call the art of the possible or what the potential is. And how is this related to the informal market that is quite large in Africa? There are an increasing number of players that are addressing this. So I think the most popular is out of Kenya. Oh my God, their name escapes me, but it'll come to me. In Nigeria, we have Paga. Paga has over 10 million users and, and enables payments. It has a wallet and it enables the exchange of money without you having a bank account. Essentially, your mobile phone becomes your bank account number. Proud to say that Paga founder was a podcast guest here a few years ago. Yes. <laughs> and so you mentioned a little bit about the relationship between investors and regulators. How about the relationship between entrepreneurs and the government? Well, I can't speak for everywhere, but I can speak for Nigeria. It is one that is improving, scarily so in some instances, because the cynics say, oh, the only reason government is doing all of this is because they want to be sure they can tax the hell out of startups in the future. But that's not a bad idea. Right now, if you take a look at the federal level, we've got the Federal Ministry of Finance run something called UUIN, which aims to promote entrepreneurship, job creation, and wealth through enterprise education for Nigerians. Then you have the Bank of Industry that has the Youth Entrepreneurship Support Program, which actually provides funding okay, to entrepreneurs, provided they are job creating. So it's their way of looking at youth unemployment. And then if I take it down to the state level, we've got the Lagos State Employment Trust Fund. And what 
LSETF, as we call it, which was founded in 2016, has done has been amazingly remarkable in terms of reducing unemployment across the state. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, you have invested in a number of startups, uh, dozens at this point. What do you look for in a founding team? There, there must be some patterns that you have identified at this point that you look for. Well, let me put it this way. At the highest level, it's simple. Ability to execute. Okay? Can you walk the talk? Because talk is cheap. Listening to pitches and all of that, the question is, can you really execute on your vision? And really, it means a number of things. The first is, do you have curiosity? Are you curious? Are you naturally curious? Are you receptive to feedback? Or are you alien to feedback and you take it negatively? Do you have a clear vision as to why you're doing this? And can you articulate that vision? Do you have unique insights about your industry that nobody else has? Do you have the technical skills to deliver this? Do you have the ability to lead the kind of company that is required to deliver this? And finally, thanks to my friend Adventures Platform, Colaino, are you a good storyteller? Definitely, you need to be a good sales leader there. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> and would you say there are any key differences between, say, entrepreneurs uh, focusing on the UK market in London or in the US versus entrepreneurs giving it a go in, in a country like Nigeria? Oh, yeah. Big, big, big humongous difference. Okay, and that is why international struggle on the continent. The first is the death of infrastructure. Just take, let, let me drill down on that, okay? If you live in Lagos in Nigeria, getting electricity off the grid is a luxury. If you get more than 12 hours of electricity off the grid on a daily basis, you're in la-la land. Second, pipe-bone water, non-existent. So these are basic fundamental infrastructure pieces I could go on with travel and et cetera, that these people have to overcome before they start to compete. And that's what makes it a fundamental difference. People say, ah, but it's, it's the same. No, it's not the same. Okay. I'd compound that with a failing education system and then cheap international money. And you start to see the challenges entrepreneurs face on the continent. Yeah, and I guess the result for those entrepreneurs who do start and launch something is that they build more lasting and more resourceful companies. Correct. It also changes the investment momentum because as investors on the continent, we tend to like smaller ticket sizes. The reason being that one of the main things we do know, which is Probably, uh, how do I put this? It is contrary, I think is the word I'm looking for. It's uh, contrary to how the US and European viewers would understand. It is the fact that it allows startups to test the market, bootstrap, learn how to operate. And most importantly, as I say to them, hire like you're spending your own money. Yes, it minimizes dilution, but that's not the way. The real reason we do it is because African economies are high friction. You must know that yourself, okay? For building anything, 
okay, with capital, business, regulatory, and I've just talked about other aspects of, you know, talent infrastructure is just not readily available. Compound that with the fact that currencies are less stable and economies are more often exposed to shocks. You start to understand why this is the pragmatic approach we take. One thing I'd also like to add here is the fact that Africa is not one country. It's actually 55 sovereign countries and the markets are small. They're fragmented and diverse in needs and preferences. Yeah, I can see a lot of parallels with, say, a, a region like Latin America. Right? Correct. And so if the challenges were not enough, right, now you have the COVID-19 crisis. <laughs> <laughs> How has it impacted some of your portfolio companies and also the investing landscape? Well, the first thing is we're hearing, this is, if you believe quartz, is that startup funding is set to drop by nearly half this year. But the funny thing is we haven't seen that decline yet in the fund from the funding side. We have seen it from the revenue side of startups where there's a downturn in those that have high contact ventures. So if you're event-driven or you're crowd-driven type startup that needs contact, then you've probably, you've probably lost your shirt. But the good news is we've seen significant upturn also for startups that are in remote and logistics. So EduTech, for example, has, has seen a very, very steep rise, just like uh, Zoom is being used now, and uh, Google School and quite a few others are starting to play in edutech. Similarly, we're seeing an increase in health tech, especially with the public health service systems on the continent being what they are. We're finding that they are having to rely increasingly on technology to deliver services. And finally, logistics delivery. Companies, uh, I'll give an example, Opay, I think it was put in 15 million, expecting that the bikes would be used for bike hailing, ride hailing. The government put a ban on that, but guess what's happened? It's become amazingly useful during the COVID-19 pandemic with the lockdowns, they're now doing deliveries to homes. So yeah, pros and cons on both sides. I can also imagine that the payments ecosystem within FinTech has done well, and as well as uh, some other verticals within FinTech. Yeah, correct. Got it. Well, Tommy, this has been uh, extremely interesting. I'm sure the listeners will be delighted to learn about the multiple facets of the African investing ecosystem. Before we go, can we hear a little bit about some of your hobbies outside of investing? I'm, I'm sure you have some hobbies. Uh, my passion is sailing. So I sail sloops. Okay, anything from 35 foot to 70 foot, you know, requiring a crew of three to 10. I am a certified Royal Yacht Association day skipper. And my claim to fame is the fact that I once raced against Larry Elliston of Oracle in his boat Sayonara at the Antigua Sailing Week. The race of two investors. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Tommy, thank you very much. You know, we're glad you joined us. You are now a friend of the podcast, a friend of Wharton and once this is over, we hope you can join us on campus. It'll be my pleasure. You take care. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our FinTech community, 
please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.